the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Football fans, welcome back to another episode of the Underdog Podcast, the home of P6 football at SB Nation's Underdog Dynasty. And it's been a little bit of a hiatus, but we are back with another round of Joe Talk, and that is me, Joe Serpico, where you can find me on Twitter at Joe Serp. And on the other side of the mic is my good man, Joe Broback, at Joe Broback. What's going on, my friend? Long time no talk. It's been a while. How are you doing? Just uh, getting by, you know. College football is unfortunately slowly coming to an end. We just got one, one more game. One more game. I guess the uh, the first thing I want to ask you, are you in agreement with me that there is way too long of a layoff in between the semifinals and the final? Well, this year, I don't – was it – I think it was a week or like a week and a half last year or something like that, I, right? Uh, I think you might be right, but it's always been like this. Maybe it has always been like this, and we just haven't realized it. But this, it just seems ridiculous that we're going to get two rounds of the NFL playoffs mixed in before we get a championship game in college football. Yeah, I don't, I don't really get that. I don't know what the purpose. Like, I, I don't know what what was the reasoning for it. That's what I don't know, and I don't think anybody really like realized it until now. I, Monday was when I realized it. I was like, "Why isn't this game happening today?" You know, there's no Monday Night Football. There's no real action out there. I mean, unless you're a big time NBA or a college basketball fan. But let's be real, football runs American sports, so that was a perfect opportunity in my in my mind to uh, play that game. Mm-hmm. But that's going to be a fun game. I mean, it was the 29th last year, and then. December 29th were the semifinals, and then the seventh. So yeah, I think yeah, it, I don't get that. I yeah, this year That's is weird. a a longer stretch in between the games. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be a great game regardless between the Tigers. At least we know a Tiger is going to be the champion this year. That's true. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about. What happened in the bowl season for the American Athletic Conference? It was. Uh, didn't get really off to a great start for some of these teams in the conference. Uh, there was a couple blowouts that were really unexpected. But overall, conference finished with a 4-3 and three mark, which was significantly better than last year, where they only went 2-5 and five in postseason play. But like I said, those blowouts, they had three teams in the conference that gave up 50 points. So that kind of brings us back to the argument that we've had pretty much the entire time we've done this show is uh, the American – not so great on the defensive side. Yeah, it's uh, there's always a few games that it comes back to bite them, and unfortunately, teams like SMU and Temple, and and Memphis even just didn't <laughs> just expose that kind of a weakness, and that was unfortunate. Yeah, we'll get into the the latter two that you mentioned in a in a little bit, but let's get it started with that SMU loss. Um, in my eyes, just awful. I mean, just did not see it coming either. I mean, everything was stacked against FAU. I mean, Lane Kiffin was gone. They had a bunch of guys sitting out. Um, SMU all season long was this dynamic offense, and granted, I mean, their defense was suspect, but they weren't ever this bad and I don't know in my eyes this was the biggest letdown of every team in the conference including my Temple Owls at least they yeah for sure I mean you you know at least Temple did play a power five team I'll argue not the strongest power five team but I don't think anybody saw this waxing coming from Florida Atlantic no, and like honestly, the score is a little deceiving, but FAU definitely dominated the game. I don't know why all of a sudden SMU just—it's it, not like they were missing a ton of key pieces. Like they weren't missing many guys at all, and they just—they were awful. Yeah, I don't I, get it. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. So that was the game. Honestly, I felt most confident about for this. But uh, I guess there was two of the games that I was really the the Cincinnati game against Boston College I was pretty confident about as well. But I really thought that this was a game that SMU was going to run. I honestly I would have expected this score to be flip flop the other way around. Yeah, if someone's going to blow out somebody, SMU is going to blow out FAU is probably what everybody would think. 
just considering everything I mentioned before, like all all the missing pieces for FAU, and they, granted, I guess we can kind of give them the fact that you know, kind of a home game for them, the Boca Raton Bowl, but at the same time, SMU. I mean, after all they did this year, I mean, they broke so many school records, ranked for the first time since the '80s, first double-digit win season since the '80s as well. So you kind of felt like, you know, they were building this momentum, potentially going into the next year, and then you just lay this major dud that nobody saw coming. Honestly, I think Memphis really did a number on them in the game day game. It doesn't seem like SMU is the same since that game. Because they were what? They were 8-0? And, yeah, eight, and, eight and, and running and then, for the conference championship game. Yep. Yeah, and then they lose to Memphis. They struggle to beat ECU. They lose to Navy, and then they beat Tulane. And it just doesn't. They like they weren't the same. Not that they were blowing everybody out because the three previous weeks there were struggles in those games, but they looked like the best team. It was between them and Memphis, and then all of a sudden SMU lost, loses to Memphis, and they're just they fall off the tracks. Yeah, that that was, like I said, hard to imagine coming. But Sonny Dykes got a nice contract extension. Granted, it was the day before the game started, but at least they know they've got something to build with moving forward. Yeah. Because I believe you know, Michelle can come back for another year, right? He Yeah, he'll be back, and then Reggie Roberson will be back too. Yeah, so... I mean, they, don't get me wrong. They're going to lose some key pieces on offense. But, yeah, with those two guys, they will still probably be in the running next year for maybe another race at the conference title. We'll see. It was, I mean, yes, they obviously have some turnover. But, yeah, I, I don't see them falling off the map as opposed to some other teams we saw in, in recent history. Um, I guess that will bring us next game, which was UCF – they took care of business, taking on Marshall in a 48-25 to win. Um, out of all the teams in the conference, other than, again, Cincinnati, I would argue that UCF, at least in that first couple drives, the defense was probably the best we saw in all the bowl season. Yeah, you can attribute weather to helping them, but, yeah, they still at least – they forced fumbles and they held on to the ball for the most part. It was just kind of a sloppy game, and UCF was—they're up twenty-one zip before Marshall could even blink. So that that definitely helps, and that's the UCF we're accustomed to seeing. And now they're looking forward to next year and hopefully redeeming themselves. But next year, next year is going to be interesting, considering you know, Dylan Gabriel had a terrific season as a true freshman, but. You know, all eyes are likely going to be on, you know, what's the situation with Mackenzie Milton? Is he going to be fully back healthy? And, you know, there's even some chatter out there that if he is completely healthy and maybe doesn't think he's going to win this job, could we see him potentially on the move? I don't personally think that's going to happen. I think that's a little bit too much risk. Um, but at the same time, UCF, you know, they put up, what was it? 587 yards in this game, and we talked about it uh, a couple episodes ago. How we felt like maybe the run was over, but heading into next season, you know, if they have all these pieces back, and they're going to again lose some pieces as well, but they're going to have almost a ton of those running backs back. They've got a good bunch of wide receivers back outside of Gabe Davis, and with the more experienced Gabriel. I mean, we could be talking about UCF winning this conference again next year. Yeah, the run. I mean, the run's over. The magical run, the twenty-five consecutive runs. That that's over. But you can start a new run, and they have the talent to do so. You, I mean, you and I have talked about this for a while now. Is what what's going to happen when Milton comes back? Is he the same as what he was? Because that puts them in kind of a predicament of do you play Milton because he's a senior and he's you know we've seen what he can do when he's healthy. But at the same time, Gabriel had a solid year. Granted, he had a couple of games where he struggled, but overall, a solid campaign. And like you said, you have Otis Anderson coming back, Bentavious Thompson's coming back, Trey Nixon, Marlon Williams, and that's just on offense. They could have one of the best secondaries in 
the conference, maybe even all of college football next year, depending on if Richie Grant and others decide to stick around for another year. But this is a team that just because they lost, they I mean, they, they went 10-3. and And I feel like some people kind of just write them off as like they're dead and gone. But this is still a 10-win football team, and that's still pretty good. It's not as good as, obviously, the last two years, but this is still much, very much a dangerous football team. Yeah, and it doesn't look like the offense is going to stop, like you said, with all those names there. It's just going to just keep on churning. And, I mean, I don't have the schedule in front of me for next season, but the East, outside of, you know, Cincinnati probably, it's probably going to be a race between those two teams once again this year. Or next probably, year, I should say. Probably. I don't – unless Temple throws in a surprise, which they're, they did again this year, even though they kind of struggled at – at the end but they were at least in the running near the end of the season and then you never know with them and is usf different with a new head coach or are they the same you just never know well you brought up those owls uh let's let's get into that debacle um a 55 to 13 loss to unc a year after allowing duke to put up 56 in a bowl game um like I kind of said in in my post-game recap of that, I think the Owls want nothing to do with an ACC team in bowl season next year. Yeah, it's uh, well, I'll, give, I'll say this, that this North Carolina team is much better than that Duke team they lost to. That Duke, I mean, Daniel Jones is looking like better than we thought, but still, that Duke team is was not a, as good as Temple made them look. This North Carolina team is a team that I think a lot of people are going to be excited about come 2020, and and it's it's still a disappointing performance from Temple because we know that what they're capable of, and we've seen what they can do when they're they're firing on all cylinders. But right now it's just I don't know what to think anymore. And then you've talked about this and you wrote an article about it is you lose the AAC, AAC Defensive Player of the Year as well. Yeah, that, that was a major blow that I did not see coming whatsoever. I expected an announcement from him, but the announcement I was expecting was that him to go to the NFL draft, not to transfer. I, I think that caught everybody in the Temple community by surprise. And there was honestly a lot of rumors that you know he, maybe he was going to join Matt Rule and Kenny Uboa, who also recently just transferred down there at Baylor. But now that's in flux, too, since Rule took the job with the Carolina Panthers. So I honestly have no idea which way he's leaning for, for a new school. But you kind of talked about it, too. I, I can't recall, and I guess this transfer reporter stuff is relatively new, but I do not remember ever a reigning either side of the ball, defensive or offensive player of the year, being at a conference and then leaving the school to go jump ship. The closest thing I could think of is, you know, Jalen Hurts a couple of years ago, but I don't even think he was the, you know, conference player of the year. He was dominant, don't get me wrong, but he was never a player of the year, if I remember correctly. Right, and you think that, like, I don't know, and Jalen's obviously a great example of that, but it's weird that you think that if guys are going to transfer, they're going to do so at the beginning of the year before the season begins, or they're going to do it after you know before the, they play four games because they want to preserve their red shirt if they can still have it so it's i don't know it was weird and you you kind of brought it up it kind of seems like it came out of nowhere and it, there wasn't really any ind indication that he was ready to move on but then we got the announcement and so i i don't really i don't know what's going on if there's something bigger than that but i don't know we'll see i personally think so next year might be a little bit of a rough year for the house. They're losing 16 seniors. You know, we talked about Roche. Uh, losing those three linebackers is going to be a huge blow to them, I think. And then now Rod Carey is 0-7 in bowl games. Uh, that's a little bit uh, frightening if you're an Owls fan as well. So, yeah, for yeah. next year for Temple, it's – you know, they start off the year against Miami, so back to back years they'll get their former coach. I mean, Diaz Manny Diaz was only coach in Miami or in Philadelphia for well, I think it was eighteen days, if not less. But they get that opportunity there. But other than you know, it it's gonna be a rough ride, I think, next year. 
I'm excited to see, you know, the the future of Raymond Davis. I mean, he was fantastic for them as a true freshman this year. But if they're going to go to another season where they're flip-flopping between Anthony Russo and Todd Santeo again, you know, we know the old cliche, you know, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. And it, it was definitely a factor this year because you could tell that Russo couldn't get in a rhythm sometimes because when he wasn't playing so well, they would put Santeo in. And, you know, that kind of just messes with a quarterback's head. Yeah, so, sometimes you just got to work through that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm not a fan of the I, – I, and I understand some of the – you know, you, Santeo definitely does bring a different dynamic to the offense, but at the same time, at the detriment of your better passer, which is Russo. Well, let's let's move on to the uh, to the Cotton Bowl game, which again is a game where the score doesn't really do justice for how Memphis played at least in this game. I mean, Memphis honestly, if they could convert one of those, was it six field goals? I believe. Yeah, six field goals. They are not, you know, we're talking about a different game. I mean, we're talking about them potentially being head most of the game, let's be honest. It, was, it wasn't it was really towards the end where Brady White threw that pick six where, you know, things kind of went real south for the Tigers. Yeah, and I'm a little concerned for Memphis next year. And it's, it has nothing to do with the talent. I just don't know what this coaching staff is going to bring. You know, you have guys like Justin Fuente and Mike Norvell that are able to keep this program running at a high level. And then you bring in a guy who, granted, Mike Norvell hadn't been a head coach before he came to Memphis, but Ryan Silverfield has not been a head coach. And it just feels like the lob numbers say that, you're kind of due for a bad one here and not saying that Memphis is going to be a bad team, but it, I, I'm very concerned with, with where the coaching staff is going to go. And I was, I felt the same way when Norvell is, and I was, you know, he pleasantly surprised with what he did. So we'll see, but the game was, you know, Memphis hung in there, but they couldn't stop journey Brown, which they haven't been great on defense all year, but I don't think they ever had a trouble stopping one guy the way that they struggled to stop him so that was frustrating and Brady White just continues to be good but not great he doesn't ever really have a great game and that continued this year yeah he made improvements and now we're not really sure if he's coming back it sounds like he might test test his talents in the NFL which I don't necessarily agree with but at the same time he's been in college for six years or five years or whatever and sometimes you just need you just need to change. So maybe it's time for him to move on. But if he does come back, he he has to get better because it can't just be uh, dump it off to Kenneth Gainwell, throw it to Demont- Demonte Coxey, and just let them do the work. At some point, you have to be an elite player and you have to take over a game. So you're saying he's not the number four player in the conference? No, and he never was. He never will be. Yeah, I'm, I take that back after this year for sure. But don't get me wrong. Brady White, when he's good, I he's like good. watching Brady White. He's really good. He uh-huh. can, He has the potential to be that number four guy that you think he is. But we just don't see it that often. Now, before we move on, I, I guess let's talk for a, a brief minute about Mike Norvell getting that job for Florida State. What do you think about the hire down there? I think it's good. I, I hopped on a podcast with Mike Settle, guy who writes for Underdog Dynasty, and he does a Florida State podcast, and we kind of talked about what Florida State fans should expect, and it, it sounded like Norvell wasn't going to leave Memphis unless it was for the right job, and apparently this was the right job. And Florida State's been struggling with Willie Taggart for the last couple of years, and it it didn't work out, and... Now they have a guy who he's he, – the thing that he did at Memphis is he found guys that were going to buy into what he was selling and play together as a team, and he found unique players like a Kenneth Gainwell and Antonio Gibson. He didn't he didn't recruit Anthony Miller, but he had him. And, you know, he had Tony Pollard too, guys that can do things with the football in their hands, whether it's as a receiver or as a running back. And he wasn't afraid to use them in in places where they hadn't seen or they had they didn't have experience. Uh, 
So he's not afraid to to change things up to go against the grain, and it's you know at Florida State needs something that's different. So Mike Norvell is going to give him that. And we we saw him obviously you know have these potent offices inside the uh, the American, and now he's going to get a which should be a step up in talent down there in Florida State. You know, can he bring them back to prominence? You know, I, I've talked about this uh, on my other podcast with uh, Kyle Andrews, and we were talking about how, you know, there's no reason that – don't get me wrong. Clemson is elite right now. I mean, I'm, they're about to play in another national championship game. But they should be facing some level of competition, whether it be from Miami or Florida State or even Virginia Tech. So, you know, he's got an opportunity down there in Florida te- or Florida State to, you know, maybe he is that guy that can get, you know, dig into Dabo Sweeney's run in the conference. Now, I don't think it's going to happen right away. I think it's might, it might take a, a year or two. But at the same time, in, with all that talent in Florida, there is no reason why Florida State should have fallen off the map the way they have. And I think Norvell is the guy that could potentially bring him back to at least relevance in the conference because it's just been all Clemson now for, let's say, five years. Mm-hmm. And so maybe he you know, he gets he gets some of these in-state guys because that, that's the other thing they're starting to – we're seeing some of the Florida guys, they're starting to go to those Clemsons and Alabamas and all the LSUs and all those schools. You know, They've really struggled to keep those guys at home, and I think a lot of that was you know departure of Jimbo Fisher, so that kind of left things in uh, – you know, and you mentioned Willie Taggart. It didn't really work out for them whatsoever. So maybe Norvell is the guy that keeps everybody close to home, and we're talking about the same team from like a few years ago when Jameis Winston was there. We're in a, at least in the conversation for the most part of the season, because for the last two, they have not been whatsoever. Yeah, the gap between Clemson and everybody else is just so big at this point, and it's just been growing ever since. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, they're they've got what the top five recruiting class these past five years as well so uh, mm-hmm. you know so you it's it's going to be tough to compete but at the same time you got to start somewhere and you know norvell can be that guy we'll find out yeah we sure will otherwise we might see him back in the american soon all right let's move on to oh by the way brady white is coming back as of 30 minutes ago okay breaking news there we go there's breaking news on the underdog podcast all right, let's move on to the biggest surprise of the year in the conference, the team that really got me good this year in my preseason rankings, and that being Navy with a 20-17 win over Kansas State. After going 3-10 and last year, they finished this year 11-2, which I believe was one of the biggest turnarounds in FBS history and is a program record for Navy for wins in a season. Yeah, win the Army you, Navy game. I mean, you can call this arguably probably the most successful season. I don't want to say ever because they've had some terrific years probably before you and I were born. But in recent memory, considering you know they were the better of the academies for, for let's say for the better part of the last decade, but had a really down year last year. I really thought they were going to have another one this year. But Malcolm Perry, man, totally proved us. I would say us both wrong coming in this year because we had some questions about his commitment to playing the quarterback position but man he took that job and he he broke all kinds of records this year not just navy but ncaa records see what people don't know is you didn't mean they were gonna only win two games you meant they were only gonna lose two games so you weren't wrong i had the number two right (laughs) that came out wrong didn't it Oh man, that was Navy. Yeah, just a surprise. Malcolm Perry is a surprise. After you know, honestly, we weren't wrong to think that Malcolm Perry wasn't going to be great because we saw what happened the year before, and he he couldn't do it. And I'll give credit to Kenny Montalolo. Like he switched things up, and he said, 
he said, hey, you know what? What we did with him last year wasn't working, so we got to find a way to utilize his strengths better, and that's what they did. And, that you know, <laughs> you win 11 games and you beat Kansas State, which Kansas State, by the way, is no scrub in the Big 12. Like, mm-hmm. Chris Kleiman has them playing at a great level, and they are going to be tough every single year. Yeah, they're – I agree with that part about Kansas State because they're always a team that they always seem to shock somebody at least once a year, regardless who's that coach. Right? It doesn't it doesn't seem to matter who's the, who's the head coach now. But another another impressive feat for Navy is and I, I thought I was a little bit shocked by this. This only the third time in the last fifty six years they will finish in the AP top twenty five. Hmm. You would have thought that some of these other years where they've, you know, they've won 10 games that they would sneak in there. But I guess that's just hating on the uh, the service academies a little bit. But as far as next year goes, they got to find somebody now to replace Perry's production. And that's that's going to be – and I'll also be interested to see if Perry gets a job at the next level. Definitely – he won't be playing quarterback. I don't think that. But he's definitely somebody with his – playmaking ability could maybe land on a potential NFL team next year. I don't think he gets drafted, but I think, you know, I think he gets on somebody's roster as an undrafted free agent impresses enough to at least make a practice squad. I mean, Keenan Reynolds got out. Keenan Reynolds was managed to do, managed to do it for a couple seasons. I believe he might still. I know I saw him on TV recently. I don't know if they, you know, he's given up on the football career, but and I, Perry, I think, has a shot because I do believe that Perry's he's probably the best athlete Navy has had in a long, long time. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Cincinnati, absolutely drubbing Boston College. I mean, Boston College, let's, let's talk about them for a second. Uh, second year in a row where torrential downpour comes to their bowl game. Last year's game actually was canceled. This year's game, they might have probably wanted it to be canceled again because they just failed to show up. I mean, not having A.J. Dillon was obviously a huge blow to B.C., but, I mean, Cincinnati did whatever they wanted in this game. Yeah, and that's not really a surprise. Age and not Boston College just wasn't that great this year, so that's not as I guess not a big surprise. But we knew Cincinnati was a good team this year, and they're going to be good again next year if Desmond Ritter can take a, another step forward in his development. Then they'll be even more dangerous. They have a ton of talent coming back, and you know it's. They can run the ball, and Boston College can stop the run for whatever reason. So it was just a combination of things. And, yeah, how about the terrible weather for Boston College again? Yeah, it literally just follows them. I, I could see uh, – I believe it was Cincinnati's Twitter page was giving them a hard time about the weather following them around or whatnot. But, yeah, it's almost like I said before, like they they were almost hoping that this game was canceled too just because I mean, we mentioned A.J. Dillon, but we also – I forgot to mention the fact that Steve Adazzo you know, was fired, the head coach. So, so, you know, they were playing, I'm assuming, with an interim coach. I, I didn't do uh, too much research into that. But on the flip side, if you're Cincinnati, finish the year with 11 wins for the second consecutive year. Only the fourth time in school history, which that kind of blew my mind considering Cincinnati, at least when uh, Charlie Strong was there, they were – wait, was Charlie Strong there or Louisville? Louisville. Okay. Who was the Cincinnati coach there for a long time? Uh, Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly. That's the one, yes. Um, Yeah, when he was there, when they went on that run, I would have assumed that they picked up a couple 10-win seasons in there, but I guess I was wrong about that. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. Cincinnati's just so good right now, and Fickle's got them playing. I don't know. The other thing is, like, Fickle's won two consecutive 11 game or 11, 11 win seasons, mm-hmm. and there's, like, not really a ton of talk about him leaving, which you don't really see that often. Well, I feel like there was more talk about it last year. Like, I feel like we, we did a, a whole thing about them 
potentially being on the move last year, but this right. year it wasn't really brought up whatsoever, which I agree. Uh, it was very shocking to me that we didn't hear his names in just about any of these coaching searches. Well, he, he keeps this up. He's going to be in, on top of everybody's list. Oh, I, I have no arguments against that. He's probably just waiting for the right gig. Um, to me, he seems like he would be the perfect coach inside the Big Ten. And I don't, don't think there were many Big Ten openings this year. No. I mean, Michigan State might open up, it sounds like, soon. but Unless he wanted to go to Rutgers, but who wants to do that? Nobody. Like Greg Schiano. Greg Schiano is the only one crazy enough to go back. <laughs> That's how desperate Rutgers was. They went back to the coach they fired not too long ago. Who also couldn't get a job at Tennessee, but that's a whole other crazy freaking story down there. True that. All right, then we can wrap up the bowl coverage with Tulane's 30-13 to win over Southern Miss in the good old Battle of the Bell. It had been some time. I don't know if you saw, but Brett Favre was uh, showing off his his – I guess they handed out bells back in the day, but Brett Favre was showing off his from when these two teams used to meet all the time in Conference USA. But, um, I mean, Tulane started off slow. That that first quarter was not good. But, but then, man, those last three, but not just offensive, but even the defense was lights out. Granted, Southern Miss did lose their starting quarterback, so that, that hurt a little bit, but that was definitely something to build on for the Green Wave moving forward next year but um correct me if i'm wrong they do lose justin mcmillan right i believe so yeah they lose that he loses him they lose their top two rushers and they lose their Both. top two receivers yeah so the, yeah they're gonna have some pieces but i mean as long as you got willie fritz i feel like you're you're all right yeah Honestly, yeah. this year was a disappointment to me. Like, I know their win total was 5.5, but and they won 7. But, like, this is a team that we were calling, like, a dark horse team that they could win the West. and Two years now. Yeah, and, and like, I got some heat for it in my power rankings that I published. But it's like this was supposed to be a much better team. With the talent that they had, they should have done much better. I mean, you mentioned all those offensive pieces. And some of those kids were, I mean, is Amari Jones was a freshman? Maybe sophomore. Sophomore. I know I he's know. sticking around, and he's he's dynamic. I really like him. Right, but, but yeah. you got to have someone to throw him the ball. Someone's got to run the ball. Like, after that Houston game, you would have thought that it was Tulane's division to lose. Yeah. And then they well, got stomped by Memphis. I, I still can't. I remember watching that Houston game. And just thinking, what the f just happened? <laughs> that was the yep. wildest finish we've seen in college football in a long time. I would argue. Oh, for sure. At least in the American. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. It just felt like. I mean, yeah, they exceeded expectations if you look at their predicted win total. But if you, I thought they we they were not going to win five, five and a half games or less. Like, I don't think anybody thought that. No. So the fact that they only won seven games and they only won six in the regular season, like, I, and to me, that's just disappointing. They should have done much better than that with the talent they had. Yeah, I think we both probably picked them to win eight games before the season Pro- started. Probably, yeah. I would, I would assume we both did. I know neither one of us probably had them going six and six in the regular season. Nope. But, I mean, if you do want to, you know, give them a little bit of a, uh, a pat on the back, this is the first time they've won back-to-back bowl games in the school's history. So they are going in the right direction. Because let's face it, Tulane, for the longest time, you know, they cared way more about academics than athletics. Oh, for sure, yeah. And Fritz has them going in a good direction. It's just This year was just a little disappointing, that's all. Mm-hmm. And they lose a lot, so that's why they're, well, we're not going to blow it blow that surprise but and I, uh, and I wish I could find that tweet but it's so far far back but you know it was crazy to see that Tulane's got more SEC uh, conference championships than some of the big dogs that are in that conference right. I, I was stunned when I saw that stat come out I was like wow considering mm-hmm. what I just said I mean their, their commitment to 
academics was the reason why they got kicked out of the conference. So that wraps up bowl season. Like I said before, it was a four and three mark. So now we're going to get into Joe's power rankings. Well, he kind of touched on it a second ago, but let's go through these because I, first off, I mean, we're down to 11 teams now. We could officially say that. I mean, I guess we could have officially said that all for the past three years, honestly. But That was weird. <laughs> but we could officially just say we're down to 11, and let's get to it. I, I totally agree with the team you have on top. I don't think that's a no-brainer. We, we talked about Cincinnati just, just a minute ago, and they have all that returning talent. Ritter will be back. Arguably the best coach in the conference right now. And you mentioned it, you know, the team that they lost to in the conference championship game is going to have a new coach. Uh, Brady White's got to step it up a little bit. Now, Brady White is going to get Kenneth Gainwell back next year. So he definitely has uh, some pieces to work with. But this Cincinnati team at the top should be no surprise to anybody. Yep. And you can you could put Memphis one and I don't have any arguments with that you could put UCF number one and I don't have any arguments with that it's just I I believe that Cincinnati is looking to next year without knowing who's coming back right now and who's who's developing just go off what I saw this year and and the depth chart for next year like it they just look like they're the best team they have a ton of talent returning a bunch of guys, a bunch of starters that are, will be back. They don't lose a ton, and their big playmakers are pretty much all back. You have Warren back. You have Ritter, who obviously needs to make a, some improvements in a, as a passer, but mm-hmm. he's still he's still solid. He was better than he was the year before. And then you go to the defense, and you realize, okay, this team it has one of the best defenses, arguably the best defense in the conference. They get James Wiggins back from injury, and you already have four defensive backs that made an impact without him. So it's just there's a lot to like about this team, and there aren't a ton of concerns. Do you think they start the season ranked next year? Uh, I don't know. Or Should do you think they... Nebraska going to be ranked again? All that hype? No, Nebraska won't because we, you know, people got off that bandwagon quick after hyping them up for no reason. I don't know if Cincinnati get. I bet you Memphis probably gets ranked because Memphis won a bunch of games. And here's the other thing: like they people, no one really pays attention to these teams anyway. So you're gonna see teams like Michigan State get ranked over them because people watch Michigan State more than they watch Cincinnati football, which is wrong. But that's just how it's gonna be. So Cincinnati should be ranked. I don't know if they will because you have you're competing with Memphis and UCF, which those two names are more popular right now than Cincinnati's brand is. So I, I doubt they get it. And then you throw Boise State in mm-hmm. as well. So I doubt they get ranked. I'd be very surprised that they do. They should, but they probably won't. Yeah, I have a feeling they're just going to be just outside that top 25, too, basically for every reason that you just said there. I mean, Memphis played in a Cotton Bowl. So, you know, and like we talked about earlier, if they just managed to turn a couple of those drives into touchdowns instead of field goals we could be talking about you know memphis being a top 10 team right now yep so i guess on that note we talk about uh, you have memphis at number two um you mentioned it though they're gonna have a ton of losses on the defensive side of the ball and i think that could be something that we have to worry about heading into uh 2020 now that's the first time i think i said it the new year right heading into 2020 and you got a new head coach we talked about as well so yeah it it's it's hard actually i was a little bit surprised that you put memphis at number two and you didn't put ucf there considering all of those factors but also what you said with i mean you could really put one a b c between these three teams heading into again 2020 it's so weird to say that yeah, and Memphis has a ton of, ton of talent on offense. They don't lose a ton. Getting Coxy back is huge. Losing Patrick Taylor proved to be less of, of an issue than we probably would have thought coming into this year. 
and the the issues on defense, like they lose a ton of guys, not a ton of guys, I should say, but they lose some key guys like Bryce Hoff and Austin Hall. Mm-hmm. But the defense wasn't that great to begin with. So you take away like their key guys that were solid and from a group that was meh, then you have some more concerns. So you're right. I could have put UCF second. So obviously we're spoiling that. UCF is third. But like UCF has their issues as well. You know, they, their defense struggled at times. Gabriel played as a freshman, and he played like a freshman, especially in that pit game. Granted, they came back, but it's just, it's not the same team. There's not the same magic. Uh, Josh Heupel's not the coach that Scott Frost was at UCF. It's, they're still a really, really good team. It's just not that same team. Yeah, I think next year is when we really figure out uh, how well Heupel is developing these guys. Because, let's face it, other than Gabriel, uh, this is still, for the most part, Scott Frost's team. So he's got to build on, you know, now he's going to get more and more of his players acclimated with the team. But, yeah, I personally think that next year, like I said before, it's going to be a running between UCF and Cincinnati for the most of the season at the top spot. Just because yeah, of everything. Someone surprises us. Yeah. Well, well, there's one team that could, I guess in the East, no, I don't see anybody surprising those two, but in the conference, there's a couple teams that have the opportunity to do that. Uh, let's move on to number four, because I'm going to be honest, I was really surprised to see this team this high. Temple Owls, you've got at number four. Give me your reasoning why you're so big on them heading into next year. You know, and it's the kind of the opposite reason that I have the next team where they are. Like, I've been so low on Temple the last couple of years. I just, like, don't see anything. Maybe I'm just compensating for it. But And now that I realize that um, – who's their center? Matt Hennessy, is that his name? Yes, he's a beast. He's gone. Quincy Roche is gone. I, I, it prob- they probably should move down. I could probably move them to fifth or sixth, but – I don't know. I'm like, I'm just going to give them benefit of the doubt. You have Brandon Mack, Jaden Blue. I like those two. They emerged this year. I think if they can figure out the quarterback situation and stick to one, because like you said, if you have two, you don't have any. And it's that's the case because Russo had his struggles. But a lot of times you just got to let a guy, he, you got to let him play through those. And that there's no guarantee that he's going to, He's going to fix those problems, but at least you're giving him a chance instead of saying, oh, well, we're we're experiencing some trouble. We're going to go to another guy, and that gets him out of rhythm, and that probably lowers his confidence too. So I don't know. I just put them up there. They probably should be lower, but I, I'm done underestimating them, and, and we'll see what happens from here. You mentioned Blue. He was a would have. I mean, honestly, he was thinking about transferring until you know, new coaching staff this year. Rod Carey comes in, and the, lets him figure his stuff out, and sets all kinds of school records for Temple. And on first, and that kind of blew my mind. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I mean, Temple has had some really, really, really bad seasons, but he was the first player in Temple history, receiver, I guess I should say, to go over a thousand yards receiving yards and i i was a little bit stunned yeah i was a little bit stunned by that because we have seen some nfl receivers come out i mean robbie anderson's playing for the for the uh jets Uh, you got ventel bryan who's been on and off a couple teams keith kirkwood was uh i don't want to say key part but made a couple plays for the saints last year in the playoffs and then you got this guy Jaden blue who's actually grew grew up not too far from where i'm at in baltimore and just smashed every record i mean 95 receptions was other another school record i mean in two years he has the potential to literally break every receiving record that the school has ever had and then you mentioned mac and he's just a matchup nightmare i mean that i was big on him coming in this year but he gosh (laughs) my dog's excited for not Nobody. for t- I was gonna say not for the Temple House. Not for Temple. She oh. thinks someone's home. Wants to chase down an owl, maybe. You keep talking. I'm gonna shut the door here. 
Well, I guess this is the point where I'll talk about Houston because that's the team in my eyes that should be sitting at number four with King coming back, Corbin coming back. Uh, Daniel Hogerson will finally get all of these pieces working together. He's got a couple big-time um, transfers coming in, which we kind of expected from from him coming in the new year. I mean, Houston, in my eyes, is going to be the team that competes with Memphis. because I mean, we expected that this year, let's be honest, but it obviously didn't turn out that way with everybody deciding to uh, redshirt. But maybe next year, we talked about it many months ago that Houston's schedule this year was really rough and it's it's much more favorable next season. So Houston they had that one year like where they fell off the map and you know I if you're Houston fans it's kind of funny that how you know 8 and 4 wasn't wasn't good for so long and now they're just going to ex- accept that they've lowered expectations. Yeah, significantly. A right, little minor technical difficulty there we apologize for that but uh, before we got disconnected there you know we talked about houston and what we expect them to do this season because of the fact that you and i were so big on Derek king coming in the year being a heisman hopeful and you know situation didn't really play out that way but there's no reason to have that same conversation heading into the next season i think one basically one year off if anything is only going to make the kid better yeah, Derrick King's still one of the best quarterbacks in the country. There's no just one season sitting out doesn't change any of that. And obviously, we'll, we're not going to know if he's sticking around. It sounds like he's going to stick at Houston, but there's people who keep bringing up that he might leave, and we just don't know what his future holds. We think we know what, we, what will happen, but you just don't know anymore. And honestly, Houston's the team where they are honestly still relying on transfers to bring them to a new level. And while, yeah, it's great. They got a five-star from Alabama. They have a four-star wide receiver from TCU that's coming in. That That's great, but that doesn't guarantee that they're going to succeed. Because you look at guys like, even like Deontay Anderson, who was a four-star that went to Ole Miss. Like, he's been good, but he hasn't been great. And then you look at... Other guys that have come into the program, like a Justin Murphy from Texas Tech and UCLA, like he just he wasn't great, and you know he's more known for the tweets that he sent mm-hmm. out and whatnot. But like he 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 just wasn't that good even when he when he was playing. And it, you're relying on guys that don't have a ton of experience. It's not like you're getting a Dr. King to come in you're not getting kenneth gainwell from memphis to come in at running back like you don't know what they can do you're working with kyle porter who was who is solid but he wasn't a great player for houston last year granted that has more to do with the inconsistencies at offensive line but it's very much like high risk high reward you know if if these guys work out and they're great that's awesome but at the same time you're putting a bunch of wild cards on the field and hoping that all of them produce. And that's not, it's very, it's not guaranteed success. So I do like what Dana Holgerson's trying to do. And I think that there's a lot of talent that will make this team better, but I just don't know. So like I put them at fifth cause I'm done putting them high and then being disappointed so I'm going to put them at fifth, which isn't like low where I'm disappointed, but at the same time, I'm not getting all hyped up on a team that still has to show me something. And like I kind of touched on, I mean, the schedule this year, I mean, just Brutal. in those first, yeah, just in those first four weeks were, were rough. Now, did anybody see us or see them, excuse me, just deciding to shut King down and Corbin down, and I believe they're getting one of the car running backs back as well. They're getting Mulva Carr back, and they get Jared Williams back at tackle, too. That's huge. He had a medical red shirt, I believe. Okay. So, so yeah, so so they, they're going to have some pieces on the offensive side of the ball that we obviously didn't see this season. Now, I guess I can ask, I'll ask you is, are they going to be able to stop, say, 
Memphis next year on the defensive side of the ball because, like, you know, we've talked about it, for, I feel like, for a couple seasons now that Houston, that's, I mean, throw out Ed Oliver, but otherwise, Houston's defense has been rather suspect. Yeah, and they have a bunch of those transfers I was talking about. Jeez, uh, about, can't even talk. And that's who they're kind of relying on for next year to make this team better. You talked about the five star from Alabama. You have f- three or four defensive backs that will be in the mix. And this is a team that's pretty much every position is wide open. I think Derek King at at quarterback is a lock over Clayton Toon or Logan Holgerson. Jared Williams is probably a lock at the tackle position. And everything else is pretty much like, here you go. Maybe I would say probably Demarion Williams at cornerback is a lock. Everything else, wide open. It's anybody's game. And it's a culture that Dana Holgerson is trying to produce to make guys better because right now there's a lot of positions that need to get better. They need to improve, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And more competition can only produce better players because it's just you have so many good guys. And obviously that might lead into the issue of there aren't enough reps to go around. But I'd rather have that issue than you have all these transfers coming in and none of them are any good and you're scrapping together to put players in positions and they may not be able to hang with who they're trying to guard or who they're trying to block. And so it's it's that's what Dana Holgerson's trying to do and hopefully it pays off, but you just don't know right now. And and before we, we move on, uh, both of us can, again, pat ourselves on the back. Ed Oliver was a monster in his rookie year for the Bills this season. Yeah, well, here's my issue. Why wasn't he on the field for that last drive? Don't ask me. I don't get that. Uh, don't Not that I'm watching me. Buffalo Bills football all year, but like, you have guys rushing the passer that are 330 pounds and like can barely get off the ball, and at least Oliver has the quickness to get after the quarterback. I don't know. Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree with that statement. I didn't understand that whatsoever. Whatever. But he's he's doing a terrific job for the Bills. Definitely living up to all the hype that we gave him for these past couple of years. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to who you have at number six, and that is Navy. You know, we we touched on them you know, earlier about the situation with Perry being out the door. Um, but as long as they're running that offense, and I, I think Perry's for the most part the only big piece that they're gonna to lose. I mean, I saw in your in your pre or your uh, power rankings there that you brought up a Carruthers, who's a guy. You know, I don't know if you heard the story about this, but he was literally on the. Uh, I guess it was like uh, the intramural team or something along those lines, and they were like, "Whoa, you need to be playing for us." And the next thing you know, he's a starting fullback for this team. Yeah, and he sh- <laughs> was it. Uh, who do you have the monster? Was that against Houston when he had four touchdowns or whatever? Yes, I think you're right about yeah, that. It was a big, big, uh, big game for him, and that's the reason why a lot of people are liking him next year. And then we'll move on to number seven. That's SMU, you know, a team that you know we talked about it. They're going to have a ton of turnover, you know, especially at some key positions and some of the better players in the conference this year. I mean, you and I probably both expect uh, James Prochet to most likely get drafted. I'm, I'm not saying he's going to be in the early rounds, but I can definitely see him going maybe on day two or day three. But then you also lose Xavier Jones and Keemon Freeman. So it kind of, you know, are they going to be ex- as explosive next year? I think is really the question. I think so, as long as you still have Shane Bouchelle back there. And you mentioned Reggie Roberson earlier, who is another receiver. SMU, by the way, is just pumping out NFL receivers right now. Yeah, they're uh, they're doing a good job. And there's a couple that are doing well at the next level also. So Brochet is probably the next one. He might be the best of them all, but we'll see. And then we'll, we'll keep going through now because now we're going to get to some of the teams that we didn't get to really talk about on this episode because they didn't make bowl games this year. We'll start with you have Tulsa at number eight. And, I mean, we've talked about Philip Montgomery for years now, whether he's on the hot seat or not. Um, could next year finally be the year if they don't you know really turn it around that he's out the door? We shall see. 
They did find. I'm trying to think. Zach Smith, is he back or not? He's back. So Zach Smith. You got to win a bowl game, or you got to make a bowl game. There's, oh yeah. There's if, no reason he he's got to go. What else? Are you I mean, if he wins five games, are you gonna really let him come around for another year? Win. It's consistency. Wins one more game every year, but how long are you gonna do that? Yeah, we've we've been expecting. I mean, we really thought maybe this was the year they could at least, like you said, flirt with a bowl game, but it just didn't happen. And so they get back Smith next year. I'm a big fan of their backfield, uh, Shamari Brooks and Corey Taylor. I mean, those two guys are are studs that. You know, if if they weren't sharing touches and they were at any other program, you know, we might be talking about two guys, you know, at fifteen hundred yards apiece a season. Mm-hmm. But since they're sharing, you know, sharing the backfield together, that hasn't necessarily been the case. But as you alluded to on the power rankings, there, it's the other side of the ball that's always been the question for this team, and they're losing some key pieces on that side as well. Yeah, you know they get they get Zayvon Collins back. They lose uh, Cooper Edmiston. Mm-hmm. You know they they have guys returning that you can be excited about, but it's it's always been the struggle for them is the, the defense making stops. You know, I don't know how they beat UCF this year. That was just wild. But yeah, it's uh, I, well that's that's a game though that in the past Tulsa loses by a lot. And they found a way to win a game that no one expected them to, and that's a big reason why you Philip Montgomery's maybe less on the hot seat. Still has to do better next year, but you you have a guy like Zach Smith who elevates the quarterback position to a, a decent level, not a great level, but a decent level, and that's an improvement from what we've seen the last couple of years because. Their play at quarterback has been so bad that Shamari Brooks and Corey Taylor have had to carry the load for the last two years. And might have to do it again in 2020. And we'll I won't see. have any I don't have any complaints about that. Like I said before, I think those two two guys were anywhere else in the country getting full time work. We would be hearing their names more and more often, but since the fact that one they're going to Tulsa, who hasn't been winning so much, and then two, they're sharing everything. That neither one is getting the love that they actually deserve. Excuse me. Well, I don't know what that was. That just came out of my throat. All right, on to number nine. Another shocker, and you kind of brought it up earlier, but it, you put the Green Wave at nine, and I, I'm going to admit I'm surprised that you have Tulsa ahead. But now that we just, now that we've kind of talked it out, I can see your reasoning for it, and that's because Tulane. You said it before; they're going to lose just about every piece on offense, at least every major piece on offense. And I don't know what's their offensive line situation, but it sounds like next year it's going to be you know the Jones show. Otherwise, uh, what else do we know that we're going to get from this team next season, other than Willie Fritz and um, oh my God! I just had his name in my head too. Offense coordinator Will Hall. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, now he obviously really helped us too late. I mean, I don't, I don't. Excuse me. Maybe not really because we did expect better things. But offensively, they are definitely moving in the right direction. But without pieces next year. Yeah, and that's the biggest reason why I have the ninth is I. Granted, and I'm admitting I don't watch Tulane football all the time. Like I'm not sitting there dissecting every single thing. Like that's I've, why we. I tried guys. to watch them this year. Well, I that's more the because Houston fear game. the wave, fear the wave. Those guys. So I, you know, they've got me kind of paying attention more to Tulane than I probably normally would. And, but like you said, yeah, it's so much turnover. It's hard to imagine them. I mean, I think we can both agree they're probably going to take a step back next year. I, that's what I think. It's just, it, I, I just don't see. Yeah, the defense will be solid again. I just don't see. I don't know who's gonna step up and make plays because you have, you have guys that are leaving this year and they were good, but they didn't dominate like we thought they might. And then you throw in new guys next year. So I, I, you take a team that's okay, and then you take away their their best pieces and that that's not going to elevate them that's it's going to drop them and then and you know Tulsa has 
guys that are returning on offense and they have a good set of offensive linemen coming back as well. So there, there are things to like about Tulsa more than I like about Tulane. And it's not a bad thing if they're in a rebuild and I trust that Willie Fritz will figure things out, but they're just right now looking at 2020. There's, I don't see a ton that I like about them. Yeah. No arguments with everything you just said there. Moving on to number 10. My boys. You have, you have your – I was just about to say, your boys, the ECU Pirates. The Pirates. Um, I guess I'll let you assess their 2019. And I think, you know, they know they have a quarterback next year in Holt Nailers. And they do think that they have another potential receiver. I mean, ECU is another school that's – small school that seems to be pumping out NFL receivers left and right as well. But – with cj johnson now mike houston you know he's known for building programs up and i'm, I'm not even gonna dare say that ecu is gonna be close to a contender but maybe by next year they will win a few more games and it was maybe a few more upsets i mean they were in a bunch of t- i mean they played temple tough this year they played cincinnati tough this year um trying to think who uh did they beat you no they did play USF tough this year as well, right? Yeah, they did, and they lost to him. Yeah, yeah, I knew they lost to him. Which but, we uh, pointed out. But yes, ECU. I guess give some love for you for your favorite team in the conference. Well, Holton Aylers, favorite team in the conference. Holton Aylers is is a young blooming star. He's he's got the potential to be great, and we just got to see a little bit more consistency from him. So he's driving the he's the one that's driving the offense. The running game has to get better. It's pretty much been non-existent for the last two years, and that doesn't help an offense. And it, you know, become makes them more one-dimensional. C.J. Johnson obviously emerged as a freshman, so that helps. The defense loses a couple key pieces up front, but they're still relatively young. And you know, Mike Houston has this team thinking that they're better already and and they're still a very young team but uh, there's there's potential there the consistency with any you know with any young team that's trying to get better is always going to be the problem so just consistency is going to be the key if they can they can get better in that area then there's no reason why they can't make a couple other teams a little bit more nervous like you said they they competed with temple they only lost to UCF by 13. They lost to USF by 15, which wasn't great. But then those next two games, they they lost to Cincinnati by three, and they lost to SMU by eight. So we, we know that they're capable of competing with the, the best teams in the conference. It's just a matter of, again, consistency. And that SMU game was the one I was thinking was closer, not uh, USF. Well, I guess let's get into them. The last team in your power rankings, which – Let's be honest. With UConn out of the picture now, and what we've saw from this team the past—I mean, let's say the past two years now—they've been relatively disappointing. They have a new head coach in the fold now. Um, do you believe that Jordan McLeod is the answer at quarterback? I don't know. No one was the answer this year. Even well, with that's Blake for sure. Out there, so I don't know. It's 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 a better situation with Jeff Scott coming in from Clemson versus having Charlie Strong back for another year because even coming into this year, you and I talked about it. We talked to the guys from the Daily Stampede. They didn't feel great about it, it about Charlie Strong. It's it just a different energy. And granted, they still might be a bad team this year, but it's at least a new start, which is something I think this program's needed especially even after the first year under Charlie Strong. They they just needed a new face running the show, and and that doesn't mean that they're going to be a great team. That doesn't mean they're going to be a good team. They might not be terrible, but there's still a lot to fix on both sides of the ball. There's some interesting pieces on both sides. Jordan McLeod is, is an interesting player that I've, I want to watch, but at the same time, there were some struggles. They beat BYU, but... They also had games where they looked like they were one of the worst teams in college football, and 
they, I don't know. You know, the first game against Wisconsin, they get blown out 49 nothing. And granted, yeah, Wisconsin was a really good team, but you got to do something against them. And it's just even towards the end of the year, they lost 34-7 to UCF and 49-10 to Memphis. But then you also have games where they lose to Cincinnati by three and they lose to Temple by 10. So I don't know what, what needs to change, but bringing in a new coach brings a new culture and a new way of thinking. So hopefully that will help them. Well, it's going to be a rough start next year because they kick off the season on the road at Texas. You know, they're starting to get into the beef of their their scheduling where, I mean, let's give them some credit. I mean, they are going to welcome some heavy hitters, whether it be you, uh, Texas, you talked about Wisconsin. I know they've got Alabama upcoming in the next couple of years. So yes. they are going, yeah. So they've got some some big dogs that are going to be coming. Well, I can't say that they're coming to USF because USF doesn't even have their own stadium. And actually, most subject, don't bring that up. Yeah, well, hey, Temple is a perfect example of that as well. We're still trying to get our own stadium. I don't think USF is trying as actively as Temple is. But, yeah, you know, if you start that season off with Texas, we might be talking about another 49 to nothing game to kick off the season. It's rough that, times. That'd be generous. In, uh, yeah, right. Uh, There'd be rough times in South Florida again, it's looking like in 2020. Uh, I guess anything else you want to bring up on this show before we wrap it up? It's, it's It has been a while since you and I have. Yeah, nah, man, I'm, I'm just glad to be back. We're back and better than ever in 2020, guys. All right, on that note, we will wrap up this episode of the Underdog Podcast. If you're not following us on Facebook, Twitter, please give us a like or follow or whatever those things are called these days. Please leave us a review on however you're listening to the podcast. And until next time, thanks for listening to this Joe Talk. Joe Talk.